For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hey everyone, this is Jeremy with the podcast we listen to podcast. Just like you, I'm listening to History Goes Bump. If you'd like to hear my interview with Diane, check out my episode 20. In the meantime, enjoy the show. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 219th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are going to another one of America's haunted universities. This one is Arcadia University, just outside of Philadelphia. And we will be joined in a little bit by our listener, Christopher Klimovitz, who suggested this to us. We want to thank Jeremy Collins from over at Podcasts We Listen To for our intro. Greatly appreciate that. And do make sure you check out my interview that I did with him if you haven't done that yet. It's my most favorite interview that I've done to date. And we also wanted to let you guys know that we make an appearance on the first anniversary special for Hillbilly Horror Stories. So if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you do that as well. We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Tasmia. Hey, Tasmia. Laura Ann. Hi, Laura Ann. Albert. Hey, Albert. Dan. Hi, Dan. Rick. Hey, Rick. Emily. Hey, Emily. Laura. Hi, Laura. Angela. Hey, Angela. Randy with an I. Hey, Randy with an I. Holly Ann. Hello, Holly Ann. And Holly. And Holly. Welcome. And finally, Hester. Hello, Hester. And now, this moment, Naughty. And this moment in oddity was suggested by Michael Rogers. Chimbu Province is located in the highlands region of Papua New Guinea. The area is 7,800 feet above sea level and is home to the Chimbu tribe, which numbers around 60,000 members. The tribe was unknown to the world until 1934. What makes them unique is their tradition of skeletal body paint. Centuries ago, the tribe began painting their bodies with black and white paint so that they would appear to be living and moving skeletons, and this was done to scare their enemies. Today, the tribe no longer needs to scare enemies, but they continue the tradition with a festival they call Sing Sing, which is a pidgin word meaning music party. The festival is conducted to bring together all the tribal groups to celebrate the rituals and traditions of their cultures. Around 60 to 100 tribes take part in the skeleton dance. 
Both men, women, and children all participate and paint their bodies. The dances consist of fluid movements and aggressive gestures that imitate attacking or defending oneself. The skeletal body paint is really cool, but it also certainly is odd. Scared yet? Boo! (laughs) And now, this month in history. of August on the 1st in 1943, American patrol torpedo boat number 109 was rammed by a Japanese destroyer, Amakiri, and split in half, killing two crew members but leaving 11 alive, one of whom was future President John F. Kennedy. Those 11 crew members clung to debris for five hours before they found a coral island upon which to rest. Kennedy volunteered to swim back out to sea and flag down an American vessel. He was unable to find a ship and finally returned to the island, suffering greatly from his chronic back condition. He fell ill, so everyone waited until he was better to swim to a larger island, which turned out to be Cross Island. Two natives on the island agreed to take a message that Kennedy had carved into a coconut shell. It read, Nauru Island, native knows posit, he can pilot, 11 alive need small boat. The men were rescued and Kennedy was awarded the Navy and Marine Corps Medal for gallantry in action. The coconut eventually ended up in the Oval Office when he became president. Just outside of Philadelphia, in a town called Glenside, sits a small private university that is home to a castle. This is the second campus that we have featured with a castle-like structure, and this one is also haunted. Gray Towers was once home to the William Harrison family, and many of them still seem to be here after death. The university that now sits on that former property is Arcadia University, and it has a history dating back to the mid-1800s. Glenside, Pennsylvania is a city just outside of northern Philadelphia. It sits within three townships, with most of it being in Cheltenham Township. William Penn, for whom Pennsylvania is named, deeded out land grants for parts of Philadelphia and what would become Cheltenham to 15 Englishmen. Two of them, Tobias Leach and Richard Wall, would become instrumental in the founding of the township in 1682. Wall's home is the oldest historic building still standing in that township. Humphrey Morey was another early resident, and he served as Philadelphia's mayor from 1691 to 1701. His son Richard would inherit his property, and he would become one of the first Americans to free his slaves and distribute land to them. The area these former slaves settled in would first be named Guinea Town, since most were from Guinea. It later became Edge Hill and today is part of Glenside. One of the National Historic Landmarks in Cheltenham Township and Glenside is Gray Towers, which is part of the Arcadia University campus. Arcadia University started out as many universities do, with a different name and at a different location. The school was established near the confluence of the Beaver and Ohio Rivers in a town named Beaver. The town had originally been founded as Fort McIntosh, which was built during the American Revolutionary War and named for General McIntosh. The town of Beaver wanted to have a school of higher learning and established a place for that in 1853 as Beaver Female Seminary. The school attained collegiate... Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) 
Denise, you know how Disney, when they make their little animated features, they always have something that goes over the kids' heads, but the adults get a real kick out of it? Well, I I just want to point out that this was originally a female seminary named Beaver. Okay, go on. All right, Diane. So anyway, the school attained collegiate status in 1872 under the Methodist Episcopal Church and was named Beaver College. From 1872 to 1907, it allowed enrollment to men. The college moved in 1925 to the larger city of Jenkintown and switched affiliation to the Presbyterian Church. Enrollment skyrocketed with the move, and the school actually had to put limits on enrollment. After three years, it was decided by the trustees that they needed to buy more property, and when the Great Towers estate came up for sale, they bought the spacious grounds and buildings. The college would operate both campuses until the mid-1960s, when everything was consolidated at the Gray Towers property. In 1973, men were allowed to enroll at the college again. In July of 2001, the college received university status and changed its name to Arcadia University. And in our interview that we'll be doing with Chris in a little bit, there was actually, I guess, a reason why they decided to change the name, and it had everything to do with the fact that they didn't want to be known as Beaver College anymore, I don't think. Today, the campus sits on 72 acres and has around 4,000 students enrolled. The university is known for its study abroad programs. Susan Savage, the former mayor of Tulsa, Oklahoma, is a graduate of Arcadia, as is actress Anna Smith, whom you may know from the shows The West Wing and Nurse Jackie. The Great Towers Castle is the most prominent feature of the campus. Rosedale Hall stood here originally until 1893 when a fire gutted the home. At the time, William Welsh Harrison was living at Rosedale Hall. He had purchased the estate in 1881 when he was just 31 years old. He had made his fortune as co-owner of the Franklin Sugar Refinery. After buying the property, Harrison enlarged the main house, improved the stables, and added a gatehouse. He contracted architect Horace Trumbauer to help with the renovations. It was a good thing that the stables were improved because the family had to flee to them when the fire broke out in 1893. Harrison asked Trumbauer to come back and build the family a new home. Trumbauer let his imagination go, and he decided to model the new estate after Alnick Castle, the medieval seat of the Dukes of Northumberland in England. Greystone was quarried and transported from nearby Chestnut Hill, and Indiana limestone was used for exterior trim on the doors, windows, and other elements. The interior features 44 rooms lined with hand-carved wood. Two constone mantles were inspired by the Renaissance mantle on the Royal Chateau de Blanc. There is a central escutcheon that bears the coat of arms of Harrison's father. The decor that the Harrisons used for their estate matched the design of gray towers dating to the French Renaissance through the age of Louis XV. Interior elements that matched the style were walls lined with inset book cabinets, plaster frieze molding featuring cupids and garlands, walnut columns framing wood paneling on the walls, and strapwork ceilings inspired by Fontainebleau, which was Napoleon's favorite French royal palace. Before 1952, there was also a circular conservatory on the south terrace that featured glass doors. There was a breakfast room that had a narrow band of tapestry woven with scenes of a hunt and a ceiling of painted canvas panels between the ceiling beams. Like a typical castle, the Great Towers features a great hall, and this is where the mantles and fireplaces are located. Next to the Great Hall is the Billiard Room, which is paneled in oak, and next to that is the Mirror Room, featuring a domed and gilded ceiling. The ballroom was a package deal made in France and shipped to Glenside, where it was installed. The ceiling has a scene that represents the four seasons as women, and the zodiac cuts a path through the sky. 
The area between the ceiling and the walls has a vine motif featuring cupids, long-necked birds, and female figures. The ballroom leads into the rose room with decor from the later years of Louis XV's reign. Music room had a ceiling painted in a Renaissance style and tapestries decorated the walls above the wainscoting. There was a fireplace in here that featured a tapestry of Euterpe, the Greek muse of music. William Baumgarten and Company, Inc. of New York City crafted all of the tapestries and paintings in gray towers, and this work was most likely completed in 1898. When the castle was finished, it was one of the largest homes in America at the time. Harrison died in 1927, and the family decided to sell the property. Beaver College purchased it for $712,500. In October 1985, Gray Towers Castle was declared a National Historic Landmark. The third floor houses dorms for freshmen and lectures are held in the rows and mirror rooms. The rest of the castle has administrative offices and conference rooms. It also is home to a couple of ghosts. Now we're joined by Chris Klimovitz to share his experiences as an alumni of this college. He's going to share a little bit about the history and a lot about the legends and hauntings that occurred here. Arcadia University. It's in Glenside, Pennsylvania. It's near, it's just north of Philadelphia City, just of the county, Philadelphia County, Montgomery County line. Oh, so it's kind of like a, I don't know if you want to call it a suburb of Philadelphia? Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Okay. I know the Twisted Philly podcast had talked about uh, you guys had an episode with uh, with her. So it, that's what brought me to mind when I wrote to you guys originally. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to her podcast, but it is it's really good. I really I love enjoy it. it. Good. So the city that this university is in, tell us a little bit about that. So Glenside, it's a medium sized town outside in the suburbs of Philly. Population, I don't remember offhand because a lot of them are college students. Uh, it's about, by train, 24 to 30 minutes, give or take, by SEPTA, which is a local train, or you could drive in, of course. So Arcadia University goes back originally, it was known as Beaver College, which is always fun to tell people. I mean, it was founded <laughs> in 1853. Yeah, I know. It's, that's always a great way of telling. Oh, it used to be known as Beaver College. Actually, until 2001, it was called Beaver College, but because the internet, school was renamed Arcadia. So Okay. <laughs> Uh, Howard Stern actually had a program. He made fun of the school because of Beaver College, and sure. that's what prompted the change. <laughs> so, yeah, that'll do it. So Arcadia is named after it, it, it's the old schools of ancient Greece, uh, particularly of Athens. So that's why it was like Enlightenment, and that's why they renamed it, which is a good name. Uh, I like it. Glenside is uh, a relatively sleepy community. Pretty nice area. I loved going out there. It was my favorite of my alma maters. So Arcadia moved into the Glenside, Philly area back right 1920s. I might be off, but I remember it was 1920s. But what's most interesting there is there's actually, believe it or not, a real deal castle there on the campus. I was just looking at a picture here and I was like, wow, that building looks like a castle. It's a legit castle, Greystone Castle. It is an actual functioning working castle. It goes back to 1892. William Harrison, who had, William Welsh Harrison, who had proprieted the castle, he was a sugar baron for Philadelphia back when Philly was in the Gilded Age. And in 1892, there was a famous Supreme Court case called the E.C. Knight case. And basically, the Supreme Court ruled that, yeah, we're going to allow the sugar barons basically to have an oligopoly on sugar. And so from that money, he helped build beautiful castles designed in British and French styles with some Italian architecture in it as well. The castle like, was built in 1892 for equivalent of something, I think, of around $500,000 today in today's money. 
He had a lot of it imported. There's a Venetian glass in the uh, Versailles room. There's a ballroom. There's an old greenhouse. It's quite a gorgeous place. I, I highly recommend people visiting it. But I think what's most interesting for our talk is that it's haunted. Many people will tell you it is legitimately haunted. So is the whole university considered haunted or just the castle specifically? The castle specifically, but it's blended and bled into uh, the rest of the campus as well. Basically, once you have uh, the campus and the castle really are one and the same at this point, because the campus bought up the castle and the castle eventually became the hallmark of what is the campus. What does the castle house? Is it uh, like a student area? Is it a faculty area? So it is used particularly uh, the president's, the, the dean's office is there. You'll have uh, a lot of your mission staff is there, your financial aid staff there. On the top floor, there's actually for freshmen, I wish I was there as a freshman, there's freshman housing, mm. um, which is really, really cool. And so they divide it between uh, girls on one side and the boys on the one side. And there, there's a reason behind that is because of the lore of the castle. The castle is said to have uh, been split between the Harrisons. So why? Because they didn't like each other. Apparently, the only time they ever really got along was on their wedding day. And <laughs> yeah, fun people. They were a very fun couple, great couple, model couple. And they split the castle. So Mr. Harrison, he really, really liked the ladies, though. So he'd bring in mistresses. And so under the castle, there used to be a series of tunnels where the campus is now. So back some years ago, they collapsed the tunnels because it just got too risky and it was a fear of them collapsing in on people who got uh, decided to go splunking and decided to go visiting them. So he would originally bring in his mistresses there. I believe the one of those of he had, uh, I can't remember, is he murdered or someone else had murdered one of the mistresses in what is known as the Red Room? And that is on the, if I remember seeing right, the third floor where there's actually a red painted room. It's now an office. But people who have moved in and out there for their offices have sworn that the blood from the murder there that splattered there actually will bleed through still those walls, even no matter how much they painted red and try to cover it up. You'll hear walking at night, supposedly. You'll hear strange noises. The piano will play. Now, supposedly, I don't know how true it is, but the rumor has it that there's some years ago there was a seance done there, uh, an amateur seance with the Ouija board. So apparently some students decided to get together and want to summon the spirits. Well, I believe as uh, you like talk, don't, you know, don't mess with the spirits, uh, <laughs> you know, things will happen. Apparently it did. And apparently someone was attacked. Apparently there was, uh, it frightened them terribly. Apparently someone went to the hospital and the rumor is when you get there that the Ouija board is banned from campus. Well, it's not actually. They don't actually can't ban it from campus, but supposedly that has been uh, taken down in the mythology of school. Now, what is true is that there is a torrent uh, above the castle, um, like a tower, top tower, it's like equivalent of a fourth floor. Well, up there, he would... Mr. Harrison, when his uh, children behave, misbehave, he would lock them up and have them sit up there in this one red chair until he felt that they were better behaved. You can imagine being locked up in this small tower for who knows how many hours and what that can do with you when you have very little lighting, especially if you mind of the time, late 1800s, early 1900s. 
And who knows if it was really hot or really, really cold and what that can do to you. But ever since then, that area is locked off from the rest of tours, uh, visits. No one can go up there because supposedly that area is also very much haunted. People have claimed to see people looking out from the windows from it. People have seen uh, when the towers are all closed, when the campus is closed, you'll see people looking out from the windows, which is strange in itself. So also, they're probably one of the more famous ones, two famous ones, actually. So the one goes is that um, a childhood friend, these are young girls, they were playing with uh, Mr. Harrison's youngest daughter. And so the one girl, it was winter, she had a long scarf, and they were running up and down the stairs. And his, like I said, these old mahogany stairs with these big, beautiful banisters. And there's three stories. So she and her friend ran up, and they were running down the third floor stairs, the second floor, back and forth. Well, apparently the scarf got caught around the banister and it choked her to death. Yeah, like in a sudden jerk. Oh, wow. And the young girl died. Yeah. And what gets crazier and sadder with it, and it actually did happen, is that um, they tried to hide and cover up the case. They tried to cover it up. So the young girl who had passed, her mother came to the castle trying to figure out what's going on. Where's my daughter? So Mr. Harrison told the butler to take care of it. The butler told her, come on, I'll take you out. I'll show you. We have your daughter. She's fine. She's safe. So they take her uh, down the hills, what used to be hills at the time. Now they've all collapsed down, and they're just streets and roads uh, leading to the back of the campus near the cafeteria. There's this old bridge there over a small creek. Apparently there, he murdered the mother of this young girl to keep everything quiet. They didn't get out until much, much later, about after they had all passed, about all what happened and how just such a wonderful guy he was. These were some real winners, weren't they? Oh, yes, yes. There was one where a stable boy, because the stables actually still exist, but they're not stables anymore. They're now used as a movie theater on the campus, where the stable boy was uh, taking care of the horses, apparently because it's something of like a punishment. He was sent out there in the evening. And there's this old historic bridge that crosses over to it. It's partly made, not marble, but it's like a sandstone. The horse kicked the young man and apparently burst open his chest and it killed him on the spot. It happened to be Mr. Harrison's daughter had secretly fallen in love with this young man. Above her, so she had her room on the second floor and there is a greenhouse, as I mentioned earlier. Well, this greenhouse used to have a spiracle on top of it, a copper spiracle. She jumped out, tripped, Uh-oh. and it impaled her. And she bo- they both met their fate. That Supposedly, makes you think you can... there was some kind of a curse on both of them for them both to have something like that happen. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Who knows? Uh, It it definitely makes you think it, if there was. But ever since then, people have seen them around the castle, around the castle grounds, looking for each other. It's very, very tragic. It's stuff like that. It makes you start to wonder. And uh, like I said, you'll hear stuff uh, move around the castle. You'll hear noises, especially when no one else is there. They have different functions that there, and people have seen spectral images and like stuff from basically kind of like, I guess, be like in the past. It's just the residual stuff that people see. Who knows? People have heard singing, voices, perfume smells. So the piano will play. 
I have not personally uh, come across anything or heard anything, but when you're there, you're there at night, and I like to go there. I used to go there to study at night. And uh, sometimes you would think, well, if there's something here, yeah, there's probably something here. <laughs> it just you got that feeling. You had that you feeling, know? yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. I wish I could have seen those old tunnels, um, but they're no longer there. But um, there have been, unfortunately, stories of, and I don't know how true, but there have been stories and cases, uh, supposedly, of suicide on campus. And there supposedly where residual hauntings in some of the dorms near the castle, where there have been seen these young men and women who have taken gone to their deaths, particularly one of jumping out a window. It's stuff like that that makes you really wonder what is there, you know, if there is something after keep reliving your death like that. And that to me is just really, really tragic. Well, there is a lot going on in just that one castle there with this uh, Harrison family. It'd be interesting. I'm going to look back into some of the newspapers and stuff and see if I can find some stuff that coincides with that, because you'd love to know if it's just, you know, ghost lore that goes with the university or if they have a lot of stuff that legitimizes all of that. Yeah, I'd love to know because a lot of it is, I, I don't know how much of it is hearsay, but where the castle is now, originally there was another structure there and it burned down and that's when they built the castle on top of it. I just think it's unique that there is an actual castle on a campus. And that was one of the selling points for when I went there, mm-hmm. uh, when I was working on my master's. Besides, of course, the good school and the great professors and all that, but the castle really is a selling point. But yeah, it, it's a unique school with a unique history. And I would highly recommend people just to go visit. And if it, people are looking at going to the school, I'm not putting in a plug or anything, but you know, as an alum, I can highly recommend the university. I tell you, as we keep doing these episodes that feature universities, I never had any idea how haunted all of these campuses across America are. <laughs> it's like every one oh, of them yeah. seems to have ghost stories to go with them. Yeah, I, I keep being surprised myself. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, it's like, you know, you learn something new every day. What's more haunted, a cemetery or a university? And I'm almost tipping to the university. <laughs> I 100% agree with you. Yeah, you don't as much hear about cemeteries as, well, much, but some of the episodes you guys have done, you've gone into them. And even those, I was really like, wow, I never heard of that. I didn't know that. But I really do believe it's your structure standing, especially mm-hmm. your universities, where you have a lot of people over time who pass through where there's been a lot of good, bad, the ugly, Mm -hmm. you know, of things that that sits there and that stays there. Yeah, there's just so many emotions. Anybody who's been to college, you remember the emotions you're going through. You're young, you're away from home. So you're homesick, you're stressed about studies. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Then if you throw in love and grades and all this other stuff, there's a lot of emotions going on there, a lot of suicides going on there. And so it just, they seem to go hand in hand with each other. Sure. Of course. Every year they do a haunted tour and they, in October. And so if you're ever out in the Philly area, go out and do it because the students all, um, it's student led and the students will give you tours of the campus and all the different hauntings. So I highly recommend if you're in Philly for Halloween, go up to Glenside, not that far away. And you can actually go into a a legit castle. How can you beat that? Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, I'm, I'm going to tell Dina, who hosts Twisted Philly, you got to go over there and do that tour and then let us know what it was like. Yeah, please do. Let her know, because I think she would love to check that place out. It, you can't miss it. It has so much lore. Even if you just take out the ghost stories, mm-hmm. it has such an interesting stories behind it. And the fact that it's an actual castle. You don't hear of castles in America. 
Well, Chris, I want to thank you for uh, suggesting this to us and coming on and telling us the ghost stories that go with this uh, university that you went to. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I I love telling you and I love promoting my university. I'm a proud alumnus. All right. Have a good night. You too. Till later. All right. Bye-bye. Denise, those were some amazing legends. This family was pretty screwed up, I guess. Uh, You have a husband and wife who can't stand to be around each other, so they have opposite wings in the castle. She has one side where all the children are with her. He's on the other side. He's having these affairs, one of which is with a maid. And as you heard Chris talk about, there were these tunnels that were underneath, and he used those a lot of the time to bring his women to him. Well, One day, apparently, Mrs. Harrison caught the maid in this room by herself, and she has a large butcher knife and decides to take care of the maid and gets blood all over the walls. And as you heard there, that it just, that blood kept bleeding through the walls no matter how often they painted it white. So they finally painted it red, and now it's called the Red Room. Red Room, Red Room. Oh, I mean, Red Room. Sorry. (laughs) Wrong movie. Wrong story. And you know, this reminds me of that one apartment that we had in North Denver, where the walls would bleed through God only knows what. Oh, I do remember that. So you know what? We could have been living in a haunted place and we're just like, what is that stain? Yeah, I, we have no idea. I mean, we maybe somebody got killed in there because it was some kind of brownish stuff that would constantly come through the walls and I would wipe them down and here it would come again. Wow. Good thing we weren't as into the haunting stuff then. Otherwise, we would probably left screaming our heads off. No kidding. I had forgotten about that until just now. Wow. The children are said to haunt their former nursery, and people claim to see them reflected in the mirrors running around. A disembodied sound of a rocking chair is heard, and some believe it is Mrs. Harrison rocking in that chair. Wow, and what a horrible story about the friend that got hung by her scarf on that banister. Yeah, apparently one of the stories that goes with that is when students are running down the stairs... They claim to feel something that they can't see pushing back against them as if it's trying to slow them down. Like she's saying, uh, don't play on the stairs like that. Now, I don't know if they do it as like a dare to each other or if it just happens to be that they're running up and down the stairs normally and, and they get that feeling. And then, of course, you have the cover up. And going along with that, it appears that the athletic fields were actually built on the area where she may have been killed. And students claim to see the full-bodied apparition of a woman in a flowing dress crossing the field as though she is searching for her daughter. The mirror room on the first floor obviously houses several mirrors, and it is a ballroom where dances are hosted. Legend claims that if you see one of the Harrison family members reflected back at you in a mirror, it seems you will marry the person with whom you are dancing. There's other activity that is unexplained. A pounding on the floor has been linked to Mr. Harrison, who used to do that to tell the maids he needed them to bring him more whiskey. And apparently other things. Yeah, I don't know. Bring yourself with the whiskey, apparently, is what he liked, too. The communication and art classes are held in Murphy Hall, and this is apparently where those stables used to be. And so Chris had told the story about that young stable boy who died in there. And students will see him in the hallways, typically at the end of the hallway. And they're thinking to themselves, you know, what's this kid doing here on a college campus at the end of this hallway? So they'll say, you know, where are your parents at? And they'll either turn away and then look back and he's gone or he just disappears after they ask him the question. So apparently he's haunting Murphy Hall. Those are the only two locations that we know about hauntings that are going on on the campus If some listeners have ever been there and have heard something else, we'd love to know more details on that. Chris shared many of the legends and haunting experiences that people have had on the campus. 
Do the spirits of the former residents and their employees still reside at the campus in the afterlife? Is Arcadia University haunted? That is for you to decide. On our next episode, we're going to jail again, Denise. Seems where we spend a lot of time these days, Diane. (laughs) We're going to be joined by author Steve Asher, and he is going to be talking about the history and hauntings of the Kentucky State Penitentiary, one of the most haunted locations in the state of Kentucky. So we're looking forward to bringing you that. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we did receive an email from Nancy. Hello, my name is Nancy, and I love your podcast. I have listened to you both since the beginning. So today I was listening to the one on the Conrad Mansion, and you talked about children ghosts. So I thought I would share my story with you. We moved into our house 26 years ago. The house is 56 years old. And all was good until about three years, our young son started telling us about seeing three other people in our house. A man, a woman, and a boy. Since I am a big believer, I knew he was telling the truth. Some strange things started to happen. For instance, I hung shirts on the basement rafters, and when I went back to get them, they were all turned inside out. And then also some other things were happening. So for about five years, crazy things happened in our house. Many stories, but no bad things. So in my research, I discovered the original owners were a family of three. The father died in our house of natural causes. And the mother and son have all died since, so we believe they came back to the place that was their happiest time. The son died at the age of 49, but he was 12 when they moved out. So that is who we all believe the little boy is. Our son has seen all three and believes they even talked to him. I personally have seen the little boy. So there you go. People may die at one age and return at another. Who knows? Yes, I thought that was interesting because we wondered about that. Here she had an example. They moved out when he was 12, but he didn't die until he was in his 40s. And now it appears that he's back there and hanging out at the place as as a kid still. So maybe it was because that was a happier time. Doesn't seem like it could just be residual if they're actually playing with stuff like turning shirts inside out. Right, because unless that was some thing they did back then, but still it seems kind of odd. And they still live in that house and the activity is not as much as it had been, but there's still occasionally things happening there. So very interesting. Thanks for sharing that with us, Nancy. And then we also heard from a couple people on the website. Becca says, I love listening to you guys. So short and sweet and to the point. Thank you, Becca. And then Marie says, hi, new listener here. This show is exactly what I needed right now. It's such a refreshing take on historical events. I tire of the objective retelling of stories by board tour guides. It's nice to hear people recounting events that are as passionate as I am. Anyway, I'm so excited to be beginning this series. Thank you for all your time and effort that creates this amazing project. Then we got another email from Mara, and I hope I said that right. I've been listening to your show for a while now, and I love it a lot. I know you used to live in the Denver area or still have family there or something. Both of those are true. Have you ever thought about looking into the history of any purported hauntings in Golden? I live near there, and I've had friends talk about a lot of eeriness, especially because it's an old mining town. I don't know of any stuff in particular because I don't like to mess with it or think too much about stuff being near me. That said, your style of show doesn't creep me out like other media about hauntings can, so I'd love to hear y'all's take on anything you can dig up from there. Sorry, this isn't more specific, and it's okay if there's not much substantial stuff to talk about. I just got excited to reach out to y'all when I couldn't find anything in the archive about Golden. Haha, have a good weekend. 
Mariah, I have to say from our time living in Colorado, we never really heard anything about Golden. I have several books on haunted Colorado and there's nothing in there about Golden. Now, you would think there'd have to be something, Denise, because it is an old mining town. Yes, unless the newer spirits from the Coors family chased out the other spirits. Who knows? So we'll dig and see if we can find anything. But just on a surface look, I could not find anything for Golden right now. Definitely, if you happen to hear about something, they'll let us know. Denise, we got to do a really fun thing with one of our spectacular crew members, Johnny. For those of you who are executive producers, we, one of our bonus episodes we put up was with Dan Lefebvre of Based on a True Story. And we'd done a little interview with him. And the reason why we had done that is because we had bid on him for a charitable cause and we'd won Dan. So we got to do that. Well, Denise and I were also auctioned off for this charitable cause. And Johnny was the one who bid and won on us. So earlier this week, we spent about 45 minutes on Skype video with him just chit chatting. And our conversation touched on a really interesting topic that we haven't really discussed here. Well, because we're G-rated, that's why. (laughs) I guess that's true. But when we talk about you've got the lady in white and why is she always in white? And then you'll hear about people in period clothing. And of course, it's a joke here among the spectacular crew members and our listeners and us about why don't we ever see ghosts in parachute pants? And uh, Matthew Hirons even drew a picture of a ghost in parachute pants the one time. But what we've never really touched on is how come you don't ever see any naked ghosts, really? And so Johnny had asked that question and that got us thinking, you know, your spirit is not really a physical body as far as we know. So why would you even need clothes for your spirit? Which again makes me wonder why we even appear as a human form when we're in our spirit form. Because I don't know that we necessarily look like that. I caused all these questions, but we were wondering about that. So now we're in search of, are there any naked ghosts out there? I mean, I would assume there would be some maybe if they were killed and they were left naked or something. I don't know, but it was an interesting thought. It seems like we should have heard at least a story of some naked person running around, or maybe that's what all the streakers were. We're just naked ghosts in the 70s. Or if you are a streaker, you better hope you don't die while you're doing it, because if you're stuck wearing what you have on when you die... Residual haunting a streaker. (laughs) Which now means everybody's going to start wearing their bathing suits in the shower as well. (laughs) Oh... All right, we have a couple of reviews from over on Apple Podcasts to share. The first one's from Coda's Mom. Great podcast, five stars. I'm enjoying this podcast very much. I like the history of these places. I'm learning from your podcast. Thanks. And actually, her name is Allison, and she's from Alturas, California. Thanks, Allison. And then Todd Hedges, informative and fun podcast, five stars. I just started to listen to this podcast yesterday, and I can't get enough. I'm already binge listening to it. Both hosts are great to listen to in their own way. And the stories and guests are excellent as well. Keep up the great job, ladies. Well, thank you, Todd. And he also had messaged us over on the History Ghost Bump page. And he let us know that he found our podcast after listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories. So thank you again to Jerry and Tracy for having us on there. Yes. We want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Melissa Nelson, Debbie Seeger, and Karen from the Stat Podcast. Thanks. Sweet dreams.